Welcome to Haven, the podcast where we explore the vast landscape of loss. There's no going over or around grief. We're going to take it piece by piece and navigate these tough topics the only way we know how, by going through it. This podcast discusses miscarriage, pregnancy, infant, and child loss. So please listen with care. Silent mystery. I'm Jen Burgard, your host, and following my own personal tragedy, founded Haven, Landscape of Loss. We are telling stories of loss and sharing our perspectives about surviving grief. Ever have that week or month or year where it feels like the hits just keep on coming? Just getting out of bed and facing the day feels like a feat. Our guest today has endured and survived so much more than even I can imagine, but she chooses forward, she chooses healing, and practices resilience. Listen now for how to take those next steps for yourself, because she teaches it, and she can teach you too. Welcome, everybody. I'm so glad to have you all back and to be back in the studio again with our guest today. We have Dr. Barbara Hopkinson. Welcome. Thank you. I'm so glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So I just love when I stumble upon someone who is just doing amazing work in the grief community and with truly a passion for it. And sometimes I'll stumble upon a profile and just be like, oh my gosh, this woman's doing it. She is doing it. So give us a little bit of background about you, if you don't mind. Yeah, sure. Thank you. Yeah, my background was in the corporate world and in software and technology. And I've spent 10 years at IBM. And during that time, I actually, and I had a 30 year marriage, but during that time, I lost three children. And um, I was, I had a miscarriage, uh, which was tough, of course, but then we had two healthy boys and they were growing up. And at four and six, my third son was full term stillborn, Robbie. And this stuff is really tough, but, you know, it kind of kept, moving on and working and just diving into everything. And as they grew up, Brent and Brad, my oldest son, Brent went off to military high school at his choosing and then went off to Arizona State University. And he was on his um, in his junior year and just about he had already passed his written aviation test. He wanted to be an army pilot. And he was he was just about to uh, go to boot camp and, and commit eight years to the army when he got on a motorcycle and lost control of it mm. right on campus at ASU. He was 21. He thought he was invincible. You know, he had told us he wouldn't get on without helmets because there's no helmet law out there. But they were, these guys were just going to breakfast after their Friday morning, you know, ROTC physical test and stuff. And um, the kid didn't bring a helmet with him. They were only going to breakfast half a mile away. And he just lost control of it. And he ran it into a loading dock wall. You know how motorcycles as you're falling off, you know, they accelerate because you're holding onto the handles and they accelerate into a loading dock wall. And he landed away 56 feet away on a loading cement loading dock floor uh, on his head. And it choked out his brain stem. And so our lives changed so dramatically. We were, I was on a business trip in New Jersey and my husband got the phone call and they weren't able to reach me right away because I was, my cell phone was in a a building that it wasn't there were no reception. Anyway, um, they finally got a hold of me just about as there. My son was my other son, Brad, was overnight at his um, senior prom, and he came home and found his father packing. And so the two of them got on a plane, and I caught them just before they closed the door. And they were on the last flight to Arizona, and the friend routed it through New Jersey where I was, and I got on the plane with them. And so they pronounced Brent brain dead while we were in the air, unknown mm. to us. 
So that was a Friday. It was crazy. So Saturday, we had to take him off life support. Sunday, we went through all of his things at his house and his the girl he was going to marry, his fiance's house. And then um, Monday, he had a service at, on ASU campus. Tuesday, we flew home. Wednesday, his body was embalmed and flown home. Thursday, his brother graduated high school. Friday was his wake and Saturday was his funeral. So it was an unbelievable week, really. And then our lives, my marriage fell apart a year later. Really? Yeah. His brother went off to college and flunked out his first year in college. He did get back in and finish. He's a chef now and owns his own restaurant, Brad. But it was hell. I wouldn't wish it on anybody. What a horrific, actually, a horrific week. What I mean, yeah. just thinking about... You mentioned, you know, you had a stillborn. And then I think we all know how protective, right, we become about our kids after, you know, our living children after losing one. And at 21, and you feel like, you know, he's, he's doing it. He's, you know, he's safe. You know, I did this. I I got him. I got him through this. He's going to be an adult now, right? Taking And then you're starting to transition to that life phase. And then it just gets swept away. So yeah, no, he was very much. He was very independent. He was very much in that, in in his uh, in his adult world already, and loved Arizona. And the odd thing is, a week later, of course, like I said, his brother was nineteen, and I wanted to put a protective bubble around him. Yeah. And one week after, he was on his way with some friends to get a tattoo in memory of his brother, and he got into a head-on collision. And he called, and I freaked out. Yeah. yeah. But and and then I was annoyed at his brother. Like, why didn't you keep him safe? You know, as an angel, like, why didn't you keep him safe? And then when I realized is they didn't have, I don't think they had seatbelts on. But anyway, all the airbags went off and they got scraped up. But they were that protected them, and so they didn't get seriously hurt. I mean, thank God. Right. And it was, it's just you know, it's just lunacy. You're right because your your whole life when you're a parent is about protecting your child, and when you can't anymore, that's I feel like a fish. It's like. You just don't know where to go with it. And then, um, and then, of course, when you want to protect the other ones and then something you think happens to them, it's, yeah, it's just awful. Well, and it's, you know, like you said, why, why didn't you protect him? But he, he probably did, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, that's what I realized yeah. afterwards. I said, given that they were in a head-on collision, mm-hmm. they could have been very seriously hurt. Mm-hmm. And, and maybe he really did protect them because they weren't wearing, you know, they're 20-year-olds, 19-year-olds. They weren't wearing seatbelts. Uh, it makes and me crazy. That makes me crazy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm a crazy seatbelt um, person. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. Well, yeah, how old is your daughter now? She is nine now. Mm-hmm. My living okay, daughter is yeah. nine. Oh, yeah. yeah. Good fun times coming. Yeah. <laughs> I remember somewhere... They're, they're really adorable up to around 10 or 12. And uh-huh. then they start to turn into creatures you hardly recognize. Okay, yes. And this is for a different podcast, but yeah, we should have more conversations about this. <laughs> That's funny. I just remember being really stupid when they were around 12 or 13 and becoming smart again when they were around 17 or 18. Oh, boy. All right. Well, here we but are. Anyway, it's really hard when, um, yeah, just trying to to do that. And, and then you want to you put a a safety fence around them. And of course my son was 19. I couldn't do that, but we did, you know, we did keep talking about it. And then of course his father moved out and everything changed. I had the combination of, of losing my older son. And I felt the loss of grandchildren right away because he was kid crazy and he was getting engaged. And then 
my son going through the the issue with school and he we had shipped his brother's car back and he had it at college and it got stripped i mean engine everything just the frame left so that was a violation for him and and he couldn't concentrate on college which is why he he ended up plunking out that first year and then the whole kind of overwhelming idea of having to buy my ex out of my house and go through the whole thing after 30 years i attempted suicide but i did it in a way it was like a trigger event that day. Something happened that just put me over the edge. And I just pulled into my garage and closed the garage door and was using carbon monoxide. The good news about that is that it took a while. And I realized I couldn't do that to my remaining son. Called my sister. She answered the phone. And I got the heck out of there. Thank goodness. But I was serious about it at the time. So I, I understand how people can get there. And if they choose a method that doesn't give them that second chance, then it's really tough. But for me, it was a turning point because that's when I decided to start a local support group. And I started the Compassionate Friends of Greater Newburyport, Mass, which is still running after 20 years. And I've run it for 20 years and I'm just in the process of transitioning it to another couple of brief parents. What a, I mean, it's, I'm so sorry. I, I am devastated to hear that, right? Because I mean, the level of pain that you were in was clearly just it felt unmanageable, right? That you could not do it. And I, I didn't feel that way all the time, but then yeah. again, I think a lot of times it's a trigger event. I, and I right. did at the time, I felt overwhelmed. Right. But but it became a turning point for me and it gave me a purpose in my life. And so since then, I, you asked me to tell about my story, but so that was, uh, he died in 2002 and my, we had our first support meeting in, uh, the week of his death anniversary in, I uh, call it an angelversary mm-hmm. in uh, 2003. And then 10 years later, in 2013, I released my first book and I started A Butterfly's Journey, which is a nonprofit for broader grief. And that's been around 10 years now that I've, I've run it. And so so it became it became my purpose. So there was a purpose. You know, there was a some reason attached to at least I feel like I hate that when most every brief parent I know hates everything happens for a reason. Oh, we do. We hate it. <laughs> <laughs> but. but I started to feel like, okay, that's why I had to go through all this grief, in term, including his, because I was meant to help others find their resilience after loss. And that's what A Butterfly's Journey is all about. Um, there's so many different kinds of grief, you know, but and, and Compassionate Friends is just an amazing organization. And I've met so many amazing people in my 20 years of working with it wow. you know, on a national level. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, yeah, I really, I really dislike that happens for a reason, but I feel like when you are given sort of the situation that you were given, right, with all of this loss and you could have gone one way, right? You could have gone the way of not being here, but instead you hit that, call it rock bottom, right? Call it whatever you might call it, but you took that and you made a decision to move forward in resiliency, so in in the same way, you know, you went through so much. Do you feel like there was a, a moment that you thought, hey, I can do more for people. I can, you know, this is the way that I'm going to help them or just kind of fall into it? No, I, I had a very distinct feeling after that low point. I had a very distinct feeling that helping others would help me heal. 
It was like an, an, my intuition told me you need to go, you need to, well, I'm action oriented. Anyway, I'm a doer and I'm an optimist, which is good. That helps. But I just knew that helping others would help me heal. And we spent a lot of times in those early support meetings in tears, but it's okay. And it was, it's comforting to have someone else around it that's, you know, with you. And there's something about helping others. I know at the end of my, the last chapter in my first book, it talked, it was 10 years after my older son died. And, and I, I said, okay, there, I, the last chapter is about the, the three most important things I learned. And one of them was about keep an open mind about things that you should try that might help and at least give them a chance. Don't worry too much about everybody else's opinion because they really have not, they may not have been through it, or even if they've been through something similar, it's not the same relationship that you had with your child or your loved one. And so trust your gut about what works. And like, I had never, I was, I was an IBM exec. We didn't talk about spirituality. You know, we, I had never looked into energy healing or anything like that, but I was so desperate to find something that helped. And I have a lot of friends that are theater people and are very spiritual and they, they enlightened me, right. Educated me and, and got me to think more open about it. And then I tried every kind of energy healing you can imagine. I mean, shamanic massage and regular energy healing and Reiki and polarity and reflexology and acupuncture and all of it. And it helped, it helped a lot, but I wasn't from an area, you know, mindset that would have thought to do that if I didn't have those friends kind of pulling me into it. So I think it's important. So that's number one. Number two was helping others help you heal. It's amazing. I don't know what it is exactly, but it takes the focus off yourself. And when you help somebody else, it doesn't even have to be related to how your loved one died, right? It's just, it's just about giving back. And then their appreciation actually heals you. It's, it's really incredible. And then the third point was, it's all about the love. So if you can really focus on the positive memories and whatever time you had. Now, I was lucky to have had 21 years with my older son. But when I think about his life, it took me a while to get to this point. But somewhere, I guess, around three years in, I started thinking about his life as a gift, not just a loss, and said, you know what, if I had to make a choice to have never met him, or to do it all over again. And those are my only two choices. What would I do? I'd do it all over again in a heartbeat because of the time I had with him. So now when I think about Brent, I don't think about the pain and the loss. I think about the mother-son trips. We were both adrenaline junkies all day, you know, all day in front seats of roller coasters. You know? <laughs> or uh, he talked me into a bungee jump one time, you know, I mean, yeah, it's crazy stuff like that. And we had so much fun. And that's what I think of. And I get that warm feeling. And I know that his spirit, I've proven to myself through signs and things that his spirit still continues and all of our spirits continue. So I smile when I think about him. I don't get sad when I think about him. I absolutely love that. There's so many parents that come to me and say, Oh, either I wish I had more signs. I wish I had a sign. Do you think this sign means anything? Do you think it's real? Do you, do you think that's from them or are I just making stuff up? So I love to hear you finding a place where you can think of your son and smile, you know, rather than think of them and just break down, right? Which is absolutely normal. And there's absolutely a place where, where we're all in that. But can you share with us some of the the signs or a sign that, that made you feel that feeling? Yeah. There's a big one or two. Well, there's several. And what I would recommend to people is when they think something's a sign, get a little journal, write it down. You're going to want to remember it 10, 10 years from now. 
All right. So, so you, so you don't forget it. So that's the, you know, the first thing, but anyway, yeah, I was here with um, a friend who's a musician and she happens to be psychic. She's not a medium. She doesn't charge for services or anything like that, but she just happens to have that capability. And she had played it at a New Year's Eve party I had. And then we were here, I think the next day or two, and we were just working out like in my living room, dining room area. And she asked me about my book was my first book was about to come out. And she asked me if I had thought about doing any music with it. And I said, no, but that's an interesting idea. And then she said, I got to go get my keyboard out of the car. So she went and got her keyboard and set it up literally on a, just a snack table. <laughs> and I witnessed her channel this song that was way too complex for her to have made up on the fly. And and I had a very emotional reaction to it. And I had no idea why. And so I said to her, what was that? Where did it come from? And she looked around the room. She had never met my son. She picked out his picture and said, that's where it came from. And she said, he's, and then, and so I, it happened again. And this time I recorded it. And then later on, when I recorded my book and I actually did an audio version of the book, I brought her into the studio and she recorded that song. Now that's called um, Theme of a Butterfly's Journey. But let me fast forward a little bit later. And the same person, now she, now my son realized he could talk to her. So he would give her messages for me. So one one time I was renting my house and I moved out and I was, we went away for the weekend for a wedding and I came back Monday morning, decided to take a walk before I unpacked. So I'm walking back and I get a text from her, her name is Nancy. And she said, she'd never been there. She said, uh, Brent says, be careful going up your front steps, mom. Okay. I get back to the house the entire length of the step was cracked. I hadn't seen it. And uh, if I had put my weight on it, I would have fallen and gotten hurt. So it was like, she's never been what? there, never been to the house. <laughs> yeah. oh my God. And it was just like, I was already used to getting messages from here, you know, through her. So it didn't seem that odd, but it was like, oh my God. Yeah. The thing was, it's tangible. You know, she'd never been there and she, she tangibly knew about it. And then I'm going to tell you one more. Because I brought my husband, he had never been to Disney, my second husband. And I brought him, we went to Epcot, and then we were, I was taking him to the Cirque du Soleil show. And we we decided to go to um, House of Blues, which is kind of across from that. In I used to be downtown Disney. And we sat down, and we were he, he was six foot nine. So he was a big guy. And they sat us at this small table. And I said, you know, this is kind of cramped. The place is empty. It's four o'clock in the afternoon. Can you put us in a regular? So, okay, they brought us to a bigger booth. We sat down. We're talking. We ordered. All of the, the lamps were inverted, like tar tarnished copper. And inside, it had like scribble. It looked like crayon on, on, on off-white paper. It was just mm -hmm. a scribble. Well, I looked up and I see B-R-E-N-T inside the lamp. And I went, whoa, wow. am I crazy? I said, Jim, can you see that? Am I like, am I hallucinating? Can you, can you, no, you, I have a picture of it. <laughs> and so now I'm looking, are there any other names? No other names. Now I'm searching every lamp in the place. No other names. What? Scribbles. Can't see names. <laughs> what? I have no idea. Yeah, <sighs> what? So those are the kinds of things that it's like. I actually would like to write another book about signs that yes, were kind of... please do. <laughs> please write that <laughs> book. <laughs> it's so crazy, but it's, it's I don't know, it's, it's, it's helpful. You know, it, it gives you faith. And I've had enough signs from him and enough experiences. And actually, I did then go to mediums, which I had never done before, but only go to people who you're referred to because there are a lot of fakes out there. Very true. Um, yes, you got to 
protect yourself on that one. Yes. And I, and I know some people that I trust that are really good, but, but I've since gone to several and there's been just been too many things that they knew and too many signs and too many things. And again, it's just, it's good to write this stuff down. But so Nancy, the same girl, I'm sorry. Can I tell one little more of the story? Yes. Tell one more, please. (laughs) Okay. On his 10th an- the 10th anniversary, his 10th angel anniversary, mm-hmm. we had planned to get together for dinner. She called me and said, can I delay half an hour? I said, sure. So when I met her for dinner, she said, he got me, I was in the garden. He, he made me come in out of the garden and he channeled another song to me. And and then he and then he also channeled the lyrics to me. So the first one was an instrumental, but this one had lyrics and she played it for me after dinner. And then we came home and played it for my son and my second husband. And it was just amazing. So I had her record both of those songs and they're free gifts on my website. Oh, um, and so the second one has the lyrics and the music. And I believe it is it's narrated to me, but it's actually about all bereaved parents. And I believe that that was a song intended for bereaved parents to let them know that their child is okay. And Love Everlasting is the name of it. Okay. And uh, and so it's on. If you go to uh, the site is abutterfliesjourney.org. And that's F-L-Y-F. It's possessive, not plural. And if you go to hit the free gift, you'll see both of those songs. You can download them. And you can download the lyrics on that on Love Everlasting. Well, we're going to do that immediately. And we are also (laughs) going to link that in the show notes and as well as are we able to purchase your book somewhere online as well or through your website? Yeah, both of the, um, I actually have another book. If I can tell you just a touch more about mm-hmm. my Butterfly Journey nonprofit. Yes. It does three, it's got three main functions. So it's got a free resource center on that butterfliesjourney.org and with hundreds of, of resources around grief. And then I have an advanced certification to teach grief recovery method classes and I can do it in groups, and I have, but I do it mostly one-on-one and can do it in person or Zoom anywhere, anybody that speaks English. And uh, it's a seven-week class, and it's the only evidence-based methodology for grief in the world. Wow. So and it's been it written by a bereaved dad, and it's been used on six continents for 40 years. So it's very proven, and it's not endless, and it's action-based. So there's a book and homework, and so you can also find information about that on a butterfliesjourney.org. Okay. And um, it's been proven as very, really, really very helpful. And I found it very helpful as well. And then um, the third thing I do is called Faces of Resilience photo shoots, And those are about open expression around grief. So I literally will go with myself and a photographer and lights and a backdrop and the whole bit. And we will actually go to grief events. Like we go to the national conferences of compassionate friends and we've done these photo shoots all over the country in Canada, the Caribbean, London, at overcoming addiction vigils, walks on the Capitol, at national conferences, brief parents to the USA, Association for Death and Education Consulting, all different kinds of venues. And what we do is we encourage people to express themselves about their grief. And as you know, especially when you've lost a child, people run from you. They don't want to talk about it. And talking about it is one of the most healing things you can do. So what we do is we we encourage them to express themselves about their grief and whatever phrase they want to say, it's got to come from them. I write it on their skin with a washable marker, washes right off. And then I take their photo, then we take their photo. And, uh, And as many photos as they want, and they can do individual couples, groups with pets, whatever they want. And then we literally professionally edit it and we send it to them. And then it's we send it to them so they can use it as a catalyst to talk about their grief with family and friends. And they can post it, they can print it, frame it, do whatever they want with it. It's all about open expression. So I have a second book 
which is called Faces of Resilience. So both of those books, A Butterfly's Journey, which is, has the subtitle of Healing Grief After the Loss of a Child, and Faces of Resilience, which has people from all different kinds of grief, and just first names, you know, just has their images. And it's it's really, it's cathartic for them to do it. It's visceral. It's very moving. And then And then to be able to see it in print is healing and it allows people, other people, there's also a photo gallery on that website of butterfliesjourney.org so that people can see other people and there's tabs that you can get to it by relationship or by type of loss so that you can see other people that have lost in the same way. Yeah. So you don't feel so alone. Right. So that's, that's my passion. These faces of resilience photo shoots are absolutely my passion. That is amazing. (laughs) Right. Like I think anyone who has gone through grief gets it right. They get that there's something to finding that other person who gets what you're going through and has felt the depths of the pain that you have experienced or are experiencing. There's just something to that and being able to look in their eyes and know that they know pain. Right. And I just don't and know if there's a connection. Right. And and yeah. to survive it, right? That's the only thing I remember I very know. well. Meeting other parents was the only was was the only time I ever felt like I might make it through this. And, you know, yeah. just looking up at them and be like, well, you're doing it. So I, I yeah. guess I can too, I, you know. <laughs> I teach uh, resilience workshops at these events. Most of the time when I go to them and do the photo shoot, I always teach a, res- I usually teach a, like an hour resilience workshop. And I've done that online as well. And that's what people tell me. It's like, okay, you're okay. You're obviously okay. And you're happy. And it just helps me to see that you survived it after so many losses. Mm-hmm. And I said, yes, I'm good. I really am good. You know, I'm, wow. I'm looking forward to the next part of my life. And I've got five grandkids between my stepsons and my son. And, and I have a stepdaughter as well. But the boys are the ones that all have the kids. And um, they're age one to six. And I'm crazy over them. They're like the love of my life. And that's very healing, you know, as well. Mm-hmm. But it really... Um, helps you to get out there and be able to talk to people or to yeah have other people that have experienced similar things. And so there's some great resources. Like I said, Compassionate Friends, I think they have five or 600 chapters they do. nationally. Yeah. yeah, it's great. Peer support group. Yep. So they're all over. You can look those up and they have a chapter locator. And another amazing resource is Open to Hope. I know the the two women, mother, daughter, who psychologists who founded that, the Horsleys, Gloria and, and Heidi Horsley. And they've got the biggest resource center in the world mm. for grief is called openhope.com. It's it's really amazing. Excellent. We will yeah. make that so, as well. But you meet these people. I become friends with them and it's it's wonderful because they get it. When you go through the 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 it's it's horrible to say that there's a, a silver lining or a benefit, but it taught me what was important and what's not. Crystal clear, black and white. There's no gray. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and, and I don't think, Anytime, anymore on negative stuff or stuff that wastes time or stuff that's, you know, silly things, right? I just walk away from conversations that are ridiculous. You know? <laughs> and so I'm sorry, I just, I'm sorry, you're clueless. I'm out of here. Right. Yeah. <laughs> because until you understand, it makes you understand what's important when you have a tragic, a really a tragic loss. Absolutely. And, uh, and the people you meet in these organizations are special because they have the same understanding and they don't. They don't waste time on nonsense. You know, they just, everybody's loving and giving and, you know, everybody helps each other. It's lovely. I agree. And I think, you know, my word 
personally that I took away from my loss and I've carried with me the last seven years is perspective. Mm -hmm. I gained Mm -hmm. an entirely new perspective on life, on what's important, on who's important and why, and just started living a little more unapologetically. And I've honestly like never been happier, if that makes sense. I'm always sad Mm -hmm. a little, but I've never been happier if it's, it's odd. It's, it's a strange grief and joy coexisting type thing, but will you, um, very true, but think about it. Your loved one wants you to be happy. Yeah. You loved that. Your little girl. And I'm so sorry for your loss. uh, And my sons, they want us to be happy. They don't want us to be drowning in grief. Exactly. (laughs) You know? Yeah. And forever. you do have to make a choice to heal, however, Mm -hmm. and it takes work and it takes time. It's not easy and it's not fast. So, but it can happen. Tell us what that looks like. Tell us what like a first step in resilience looks like with you. So when you make that you know, choice to heal, what does that look like? Well, yeah, it's funny because when I do the resilience workshop, I actually made an acronym out of resilience and we go through the whole, all the letters and stuff with each one. But I would say, first of all, you just really have to be kind to yourself, right? Give yourself a break. Don't worry too much about what everybody's expecting. Take care of yourself. And until you take care of yourself, you really can't help those around you, right? Kind of like the whole airplane thing with, with the oxygen <laughs> with mask. With the mask, yeah, exactly. <laughs> before you put it. Um, and so that's part of it. And then don't expect others in your family to grieve like you. They're not going to. That had that was a catalyst in my marriage falling apart, my 30-year marriage fall apart. Hmm. We had other problems. It wasn't the whole fault, but it was definitely a catalyst. Yeah. And we grieved extremely differently. Hmm. So, you know, just understand that and try not to expect everybody to be acting like you and thinking like you. But then, you know, make sure you 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 do something to make sure you get nutrition and rest and exercise. Get out in nature. Get out and walk in nature. Journal. My younger son, Brad, um, gave me a journal. Now, he was not a book kid, right? This is He's a chef. He's a hands-on kid. But he went into a bookstore and he got a leather-bound refillable journal and gave it to me for Christmas six months after his brother died. Hmm. And it was so unusual that I used it and I had never kept any sort of a journal or diary, but I started using it and I was blown away by how cathartic journaling is because you can, you can just dump out the good, the bad and the ugly. Nobody ever has to see it. In my case, I think eight or nine journals later, I ended up writing a book, but, but you know, it doesn't, it's just, you can burn it if you want. It doesn't matter. The, the point is it's very cathartic. So things like journaling and and getting out in nature and really trying to get some rest and take care of yourself. But don't isolate too much. You want to. It's hard to get out of bed. It is, yeah. It really is hard to get out of bed. But try not to isolate. Try to reach out to friends and family, especially those that won't run, that will talk with you. Because talking is another vent. It's just another way. Every little layer. It's kind of like a, a scab healing over, right? Every every time you talk about it, it has a little more of a a protective scab. So all those things, but you know, it said, and then those three points, get out, try different things, get out and help others and think about all the positive memories. You know, it's just, it's, it's one day at a time and you'd be surprised sometimes at what helps you go into a pet store and play with puppies. I love that idea. Anything that makes you feel good. Some people it's religion and their and their and their churches and their pastors, you know, with some people, you know, whatever it's, it's whatever, mm-hmm. But I think exploring Whatever. that, I, I right? I developed a spiritual connection that I didn't have before. Even I grew up with a religion, with Catholic, but I'd gotten away from it. But I, I developed a really direct spiritual connection and did a ton of reading about that and afterlife and all that. 
Hmm. It's so true. You know, yeah, I think find your thing, you know, um, and trying different things. And I think it's a decision every day, right? It's a decision every single day to get out of bed and to do something positive. And it's often not easy, especially at the beginning. It's not easy. It's it's really hard. And it's funny, I did um, 18 little like minute videos on tips. And I've got a YouTube channel under Butterfly's Journey, and they're out there. And I put them, I think from the last month or so of, of last year, I put them all out on my Facebook page, also under the same name. Um, because it's just things you wouldn't think of, like getting together and having your family together and cooking your loved one's favorite meal and have everybody participate and tell stories about them. You know, it's just, but but definitely, I tell people, try like three things. Don't try mm-hmm. just one. Try three mm-hmm. things. Try it at least two or three times before you give it up because you don't really know. Sometimes nothing works the first time, right? Well, that's good advice. And then, <laughs> then keep the ones that work and drop the ones that don't and try something new and just keep doing that. And you will find things that help. I was amazed. I was nine months in and didn't know what the heck to do. That was when I realized that my marriage has fallen apart. And the burden of that on top of the loss of Brent and everything was was just too much. I didn't know what to do. But again, I've got this friend who's a shaman and some friends that are theater people. And I knew he did energy healing. And I thought, oh, what the heck? I'm going to call him. And I went and I couldn't believe how much better. It was the best I felt in nine months. And because he found some energy blocks in my legs and was able to release them with like acupressure and, and his spiritual process. Mm-hmm. You never know what's going to help. You never know, know, right? I for a while, for uh- years. <laughs> Absolutely. I know. And I, I think I also grew up in, in sort of an environment that, that we would call that hooey, right? Or. <laughs> yeah, no, I get it. Right? I, my, my family was very Catholic. <laughs> Same. I, my aunts went to mass every day, not every week. Oh my. You know okay. I mean? Oh yeah. Yeah. So you're, so you were in it. <laughs> so no, I get it. Yeah. It and like, so again, it's so different. And what does it cost you to try something? Right. Yeah. Just, just try it. It doesn't mean that you are um, forsaking everything you've learned otherwise. Right. It just means you are open to trying something that helps. Like yeah. just, I love that. Just give it a shot. That's how I felt about acupuncture when I first tried it. I was like, this is so awesome. odd, but I loved it. I thought it was fabulous. Oh, yeah. You know, it's fixed things that. I had a I had a pinched nerve in my shoulder and I went to the chiropractor and I tried CBD oil. Nothing was helping. And in one visit, the acupuncture made it almost go away. And then we fine tuned it a little bit in the second visit. But I mean, oh, yeah, crazy. I mean, think about it. Your your body has a bioelectric system, mm-hmm. just like your body has a chemical system, which is your blood and you know air and all that. But your bioelectric system is your energy. And she, I've done a lot of travel in Asia. Hmm. And in Asia, which whose medicine, by the way, is much older than the US, mm-hmm. right? And and they this is just part of normally part of their medicine, right? Is the the whole the idea of chi and and the energy um that circulates in your body. And when it gets blocked, when there are blocks and grief can cause blocks, it will get stuck and things aren't right. And I felt so much better after that energy healing. My friend Mark Clopton, he's a shaman, which is kind of a uh, a leader kind of with a healer energy, you know, healer, but in a, in, I think his, his, his different traditions, but his was out of the U S and American Indian and Peruvian uh, Indian, but you know, all these different cultures who says they're wrong. How do you know? Right. Let's try it. Give it a whirl. I mean, right. <clears throat> I love that. I mean, I think, you know, resilience, maybe even, <sighs> 
could be defined by what you're willing to do, right? By what you're willing to try and seek. And, and because like you said, you have to want to do it. You have to want to get better and to try. And there are people who, who don't, I mean, mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I don't know whether they just don't know how to get out of it or they just are comfortable in the feeling sorry yeah. for themselves or I hate to use the word wallow, but you know what I mean? Some people that are they're so stuck in it and you'd love to be able to help them, but you can't help them unless they want to be helped. Absolutely. Yes. So you just hope that they get that spark and say, okay, I can, I can get better. This isn't quick or easy, but it's doable. Well, yeah. And it doesn't mean that you're forgetting. It doesn't mean that you love your person any less. Not at all. It just means that. Right. If you are willing to live your life in a positive way and, you know, despite everything you're going through, right? I mean, if you believe that your person's soul or spirit, what what have you, is still with you and is still there and still cares for you, then you should care for you, right? The interesting thing is every major religion in the world believes in an afterlife. Mm-hmm. They just often don't want you messing with it, right? But, <laughs> yeah. But, but the point is, they do believe in an afterlife, yeah. right? Um, they'd like you to get there maybe through their... Their method. Yeah. Their method. Right. But no, they're really, I mean, this, there's so much proof now. And now there's so much documentation and stuff out there about afterlife and near death experiences and all this, that it's, it's encouraging. I mean, to me, my whole life was about protecting my kids. So if I couldn't do that anymore, that was the worst part for me. Mm -hmm. And so once I figured out that they were okay, I knew that I could be okay. Again, not fast, not easy, but if, if they're okay, you know, and then I proved, you know, I proved that to myself through all the, the different signs and the, the first medium I went to is a, a friend of mine, also a theater third person. And she knew someone who was on, I live on this barrier Island and she knew someone on this Island. She had already retired. She was going through chemotherapy for lung cancer, but she agreed to see me. And I went over and my, my ex didn't want to go, but at the last minute he went. And not only did She'd tell us some stuff that that happened during a funeral that I didn't remember, and he verified it. <laughs> and and she knew I had asked my parents. They say when you go to somebody like that, ask them, ask your loved ones to to get ready and be able to communicate with them. So I did that. She told me she called me a couple of days ahead of time and told me to do that. Anyway, she um so and and I did that with my parents as well because they were both gone at the time, and they all they did come through, and you know again all kinds of stuff that. She had no way of knowing. Mm. And uh, she didn't know, you know, didn't know me, didn't you know, have any names or anything like that. But it, it's pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. And I know I refer people very often because I've got some good friends that are trusted mediums and I refer people and they do it over the phone or over Zoom as well. So I can do it with anyone. But, you know, I've, I've come to really to trust them. And so when, when parents ask me about that, I won't refer anybody until I've already had readings with them and made sure that I think they're real, you know. Yeah. They gen- Right. Absolutely. Well, um, I'm so excited for you to write your next book. (laughs) (laughs) I know I got to get back to that last few years is kind of crazy with just everything that happened. Then after my, my husband, so I don't know if I even mentioned that in this I So after my, I recovered and I met another, a lovely man and we got married and we're married almost 12 years, my second husband. Mm. And we had tickets for a show that night and he had a way to make a heart attack on his way to work. Oh. And so he, 
And so, I mean, thank God I've got, you know, I'm close, still close to his three adult children, which are my stepkids mm-hmm. and, and their kids. But yeah, that was a real shock. Right. And then, <sighs> and then I didn't know how vulnerable I was and I became the victim of a romance scam and he stole a lot. Oh from my me. gosh. Okay. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's, that's okay. Then, then I was, I was, training for a triathlon with my niece to swim in a triathlon with my niece. And I fell in the gym and detached my retina and lost the sight in one eye. You're killing me right <laughs> now. Was, Barbara, you're killing me. Stop. I'm so sorry. Thank you. Really, I'm good. I'm okay. But, li- because- but listen to you, right? Like you are carrying oh, on, continuing on. You are so positive. You're just a light as I'm chatting with you. Oh. And all of these things happen. And right, like... We, I know, though, I know, especially after surviving the loss of my of my three children and everything, I there's nothing that can take me down. Nothing. Mm-hmm. And I know that mm-hmm. there's really nothing that can take me down. I mean, I might get hit by a truck or something right. uh, and be gone, but there's <laughs> nothing that can happen that I'm aware of that can keep me down because I've already conquered, you know, the other stuff mm-hmm. and I'm good. Mm-hmm. You know, thank you. Well, do you have a photo of yourself in the resiliency? photographs oh yeah um as a matter of fact, i'll send you one because i do i take one every photo shoot i take one with good. a different saying good but my favorite is one where i've got my arms across my body and it says you are stronger than you know mm. and i love that and so you know this like one of one of my friends who lost her son to overdose which is so hard because there's so much stigma to things like right. suicide and overdose yes and she's just got like no no blame no shame just love on her arms. I mean, it's just, you never know what these people are going to come out with. They're amazing. They're just mm-hmm. amazing. These, these things on this faces of resilience stuff, but I will send you that photo of, of, of me in the faces of resilience. Cause it's, like I said, these are my passion. I really want to, I want to do a whole series of books, maybe by different relationships or different types of loss with all the photos. And I have thousands of photos now I've been doing this for eight years. That's fantastic. I, you know, on behalf of myself and, you know, all of our listeners and everyone that you have touched, just thank you so much for the work that you've done and the work that you're continuing to do. It means so much to all of us. It does. And I'm just so grateful that, that you are here and you are doing this stuff. And it's just, it's been wonderful to get to know you. So this has been great. And absolutely. It's been an honor. We look forward to seeing what you're up to And we will link all of your information in our show notes so our listeners can find it there. And absolutely. And they can they can connect with you that way. So until next time, thank you so much, Barbara. Thank you for having me, Jen. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to Haven's Landscape of Loss. If you found it helpful to hear this story and are going through a lost journey of your own or supporting someone else who is, consider subscribing on wherever you're listening to this podcast. If you found this episode helpful and you'd like to support the podcast, please share it with loved ones, post about it on social media, and leave a five-star rating wherever you're listening. Finally, to learn more and get even more resources about the lost journey or to send a healing gift, please visit havenmidwest.org And while you're there, consider donating. This podcast is made possible by our partners at Tellwell, listeners like you, and folks willing to share their stories so we can all heal together. You are.